This is an ABC podcast. You know, winning government is not easy, and there's a lot of work to do. You know, in the next two weeks, it's my job as the chief salesman to get those yes. points across. Have a look at some of the political parties he's been involved in and worked for. They're no friends of mine. I don't know the bloke. I don't work with the bloke. I'm Richard William, the ABC's Victorian political reporter. And I'm Raph Epstein, host of Drive on ABC Radio Melbourne. This is Matters of State, your insider's guide to the Victorian election. We are one week away from polling day as we record this, and we have never had this many people vote this early. On Friday morning, more than one in eight people have already voted. One in five will have voted by Saturday, and we've had more requests for a postal vote Already we've had more of them than we had during the entire last state election. Our very own election analyst, Anthony Green, believes two-thirds of people could cast their ballots before Election Day, a rate we've never seen in this country. I think a lot of voters are making up their minds based on what they see in the mainstream media news, but also the ads they've seen on social media. Later in the pod, we'll have a look at how the politicians target your vote in the digital realm. But first... Another campaign bombshell. This time, it's a problem for Matthew Guy. The Victorian Electoral Commission has referred an investigation it's conducting into Matthew Guy and his former chief of staff to the state's anti-corruption watchdog, IBAC. Now, this investigation initially was looking at allegations that Matthew Guy's former chief of staff, Mitch Catlin, was trying to solicit donations for his private business while working in Matthew Guy's office and using that position to get those donations. That could, if it happened be a breach of the strict donation laws. The Electoral Commission didn't do this subtly either, Raf. The Commissioner, Warwick Gatley, said, despite public statements to the contrary, the VEC has not received full cooperation from those connected to its investigation, which points the finger straight at Matthew Guy. Now, as we're recording this, the Liberal Party have hit back. Here's Georgie Crozier. This has a risk of eroding public trust in a democratic process, and we are very concerned about... Uh, what has been said. Uh, The State Director has made his position very clear and again, the VEC is the umpire, not the player in the state election. So this is quite extraordinary. The the lawyers for the Liberal Party have written to the Electoral Commission complaining about the the timing of these referral, but also there's been a couple of radio interviews from the Commission which sort of further fuels this fire. Now, the language the Liberal Party is using is very important here. Its lawyers have said in their letter to the Electoral Commission that they want the public commentary to stop. It wants a full external inquiry into the timing of this announcement. And it's accused the VEC of, quote, a serious deliberate and unprecedented interference in the Victorian state election that has also damaged public trust in the electoral process. Now, this whole saga undermines the Liberal Party's arguments on integrity, which they've been hammering Daniel Andrews on, and it really throws another element into the madness of this campaign. Some people have already labelled this type of commentary Trumpian, and this ongoing debate and finger-pointing on integrity. For voters, it feeds onto this idea that this is a pox on both your houses. Labor's not getting out of this week unscathed. There were significant issues around the group voting tickets. Only Victoria has this system where the parties control your preference flow. You don't always control your preference flow in the upper house. Glenn Drury understands how to exploit this system best. His negotiations with some of the minor parties have been leaked. And here he is essentially saying it's up to him who gets into the upper house. Let's say you're the government. You need to govern. You don't like the Greens. You join the dots, right? I was 
I caused all Greens to lose their seats last time. So that's the so-called preference whisperer, Glenn Drury. There are reports as well that he met with Dan Andrews, the Premier's Chief of Staff, once in 2019. How do you think this falls, Rich? Is it the questions have been more targeted at Labor? Is it a problem for them? I think it goes to the murkiness of politics and people's distrust with politics. The fact that he met with Lissy Ratcliffe, he's Dan's chief of staff, is not necessarily a, a problem. I've spoken exclusively to Glenn Jury and he says, yeah, I, I, met with, I met with her, but I met with heaps of other people. Including liberals? Liberals, Greens, heaps of other minor parties. And he says specifically that there were no deals discussed with Lissy Ratcliffe. So there's a whole lot of show going on here. He mentions in these leaked videos that he tells the, the angry Victorians party that he has to deliver a crossbench the government can work with and it's likely to be the Andrews government. Now, he's defended that. I've since spoken to him and he says he tells all crossbenchers that you need to work, be able to work with the government of the day. It doesn't mean you have to bend over backwards for them, but there's no joy in being obstructionist. So he's basically saying he helps people, ordinary people get elected. There's a political reality when you get elected into a parliament when you've got no political experience that you actually need to work with governments and oppositions to get things done. You can't just get in there and get everything you want because you're just one vote. The danger is that for the government is there's been decades of complaints about these group voting tickets. Victoria is unique. We're the only state that still does this. And yet the Premier and the government has taken no action. When they won in 2014, they said they'd look at it. The late Fiona Richardson was on the record at the time in a story I wrote back in the age saying that this needs to be fixed. There's other people in Labor that says this needs to be fixed. And yet the Premier was defiant on Thursday saying it was, he basically said, it's not the top of my list. It wasn't a priority. And you can see why. They've managed to get things through the upper house that they needed to get done. They had some crossbenchers they could work with, but it does go to the democratic principles of how your vote works. Just keep in mind, Anthony Green thinks these group voting tickets are a terrible idea. Everybody, every other territory and state has scrapped them, but you still get to control your preferences. The simplest way to do that is in the upper house, in the Legislative Council, if you don't want to. You don't have to put just one number above the line. You can put at least five numbers below the line in the upper house vote. If you number at least five boxes, your vote will be counted. Rich said it's not... Dan Andrews' priority, his priority. I think four out of the last seven days to this Friday for Labor, four of the last seven days they have been speaking about either health or in particular women's health. Have a listen and tell me if you think these policy announcements from the Premier, Dan Andrews, are the sound of confidence or the sound of desperation. Many, many Victorian women do not get taken seriously. They are, are dismissed. They're told, well, that's just what being a woman's about. This is what women have told me because we took the time to listen and not just listen, but to hear them. All right, I'll make the case that this is a desperate ploy to try and win back some female voters. There is concern among some people in Labor that the Premier has a problem with female voters, that they are frustrated with him, they're upset with how he handled lockdowns in terms of school children, and that he's sort of cut through arrogant attitude is not rubbing off particularly well with female voters. It doesn't mean they're going to vote for Liberal. It goes back to this problem. They may vote elsewhere. Also interesting to note, there's this sort of, what a couple of Labor people described to me, a general shittiness in the electorate. People are a little bit just shitty with not just government, but society Life. and where things are at. That's always bad for government. So this is a, this is a desperate pitch to try and get them over the line, make sure they get to 45 seats. 
Um, and it's also interesting, on top of these um, announcements that are about women's health and, and health in general, they're all very much in the inner city. Daniel Andrews has been at hospitals. He's been in Northcote. It's very much focused on battles where the Greens are. It's also not taking Daniel Andrews out into the outer suburbs where it's most volatile. The case for this is a confidence strategy that comes from weeks, if not months ago. The announcement last Saturday, and the government says it's been in train for some time. It's just a really simple thing. You have 1,500 vending machines with free tampons and sanitary pads for women in 700 locations around the state so that wherever women are, if they or girls, if they get sh- caught short, the government's got their back and they're talking about things and doing things that are just simple and practical. I actually had a few Labor people quite upset with me suggesting that women's health is in some way a grab from the bottom of the barrel strategy or in any way a niece issue. They say, look, they've been thinking for months about both the policy virtue of this and the fact that in the last few elections, the undecideds have been amongst women aged under 55. That's not a new thing that women under 55 are the swing vote. It's certainly a big policy and and it's a policy. I mean, this election campaign um, by the fault of the parties and all the media including us, has been a, a lot of focus, perhaps because of other events on integrity, on personality. Um, but there has also been a, a frustration from, um, particularly from the government, that these these announcements, particularly these ones on women's health, haven't been getting the airtime that they would have potentially yeah. they otherwise think, got. They will say to you, this is what really matters to people, and not I, what I you're I think reporting. it probably does. It probably does. And it's that, that balance that we always mm. have is what matters to people, what people are interested and what matters as a story. There's, a, there's, a, there's always a fine line to walk. Uh, integrity, preferences, gas, women's health, that's what Rich and I have been talking about this week. But how much of that makes it sort of past the political nerds and into the wider electorate? Let's dive into how votes are won and lost online. Joining us is Eloise Young, who runs the digital strategy firm Love Reacts Only. She was a digital manager for Dan Andrews until 2021. Eloise, welcome to Matters of State. Thanks for having me. Look, we've been talking about Matthew Guy and IBAC. Uh, last week we were talking about Dan Andrews and IBAC, Eloise. Do those issues soak through if you're getting your news on the socials? Well, look, I mean, I think it'll be interesting over the next couple of days because I think stories like this can be a bit unpredictable online. So sometimes they sort of surface and then subside and then sometimes they take on a life of their own. Like people start kind of sharing them and creating their own commentary and content around them. Um, And then if they get onto like, you know, other platforms like Instagram and TikTok, then they have this virality that can really make them keep on going. Eloise, just boil it down for us because I think online stuff's cheaper. Uh, Is the online effort cheaper for the parties than, you know, mainstream TV and print? print ads? Yeah. So, I mean, and and online ads can definitely vary in terms of cost, but I think probably the basic thing to think about is that um, the harder the platform, um, and by that I mean sort of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, or Google, the the harder the platform has to work to show your ad, the more expensive it is. So if you're going to want to blast an ad out to the whole state, it's going to be cheaper because the platform basically goes to all those low-hanging fruit first. Um, so people who are online all the time, if you haven't specified who you want to see your ad, but if you say, okay, we only want to reach people in Pakenham or, you know, only people who like fishing, then it's more expensive because it's harder to find those people. And how I want to know how the leaders especially use social media. You can see that the, the Labor Party's account or the Liberal Party's accounts, they're pretty negative. But it's fascinating to me, like Matthew Guy's most viewed video on TikTok is all about public transport fares. And then Dan Andrews' most viewed thing on TikTok 
by, by actually by a factor of about 10 to 1, so 10 times more people interacting with it, is a thing about nurses' hex. So what's the, what's the priority for the leaders and their, their personal accounts? Well, I mean, the role of the leader is really to put forward a positive vision for the state. Like, that's what people want. Um, as much as they might tell you, oh, you know, we hate we hate the other guy, like you still have to put forward your own vision for what you're going to do if you win government. And I think, you know, you've got to remember that people on party pages, that's the party faithful. And right. the point of that, those pages is to effectively give your supporters, you know, yeah. ammunition to go out and share stuff. But the average person on the street is not going to share an overly political meme, but they are going to be interested in free hacks or $2 public transport fares. Did you find that when you were working in, in the government, that there was a strategic advantage that Labor had over the Liberals? I mean, were you the sort of pioneers in this space? Well, I think Daniel has the biggest following across platforms of any politician in Australia. And that that is because I think the, office, the, the Premier's office has seen the value of social media early. They were early adopters of it and they've put it on at a strategic level that other other politicians have caught up, you know, have tried to catch up with. And you have seen it with other premiers and other leaders. They've they've invested in social media because, you know, because it is powerful. Given the Liberal Party are in opposition, they don't have that sort of government platform to elevate them, or the pandemic to elevate them. What do you think the Liberal Party is doing well? What do you think they, they might need to strengthen? I think, yeah, the Liberals are stronger in negative campaigning relative to the other things that they're doing. But I think that has come to be a bit of a problem for them it's also reliant on the Premier being this known quantity that people have in, have a pre-existing opinion about. So if you're, you know, making a, a negative attack at him, it, it lands a bit better because people people know him, whereas Labor's angle that, you know, it's Matthew, Matthew Guy's Liberal's cuts guy and he's going to cut all this money out of health and so on, it doesn't land in the same way because people don't know Matthew Guy as intimately as they know the Premier. But what I would say about the Liberal's negative campaigning is that what they've done is really pegged all of their they put all their eggs in that basket and they really they they haven't effectively i don't think put forward a coherent positive plan for victoria i think they've been a bit seduced by when they have done negative content it goes better than their positive content because they've sort of built this audience around people who have that mindset and they haven't captured the mainstream. But does that, I guess, does that matter? Their strategy is to go negative because their whole strategy this election is to get Victorians to think about Daniel Andrews as a bad person and that's their strategy. So in that sense, does it work? In terms of, is it shareable? I don't think it's shareable enough. I don't think, I don't think it has the numbers. I think they're looking at a rump of 10 to 20% of people who are angry enough to share and to, and to vote that way. But I think they needed to do both effectively, but and it, I don't think they've done that. And in, I want to know how you think political parties view social media. John Howard famously did a lot more talkback radio than Paul Keating because he saw it as a way of getting around the Canberra Press Gallery. He was basically trying to get around people like me and, and Richard. I, I get really frustrated. I'm like, that's just unmediated, unfiltered, biased information from a politician. Yeah, because I think I'm wonderful. I think I know how to, you know, objectively you are, frame right. things. You are. I'm assuming that the parties go, great, here's a way to directly talk to our voters. One Liberal actually said to me, we don't need you, as in we don't need the radio to explain our policies to voters. Is that how the parties think about social media? I think scrutiny is really important and I don't think that, you know, this trend towards social media will doesn't undermine that. I think the media 
will always provide that sort of questioning and rigor and journalism. But I do think that more voices and more diversity in our conversation around politics can only be a good thing. And I think the public having more access to more information is like a collective good. You know, politics affects your whole life. And to keep it as a sort of exclusive conversation between the media and politicians, I think that just further, you know, alienates the public. But but is it good information um, that's being shared? Going to, going to Raf's earlier point about they bypass up the media. And so if you're talking about more diverse voices, but is it the, is, is what's being shared and put out there factual or fair? Well, is, the, is what the media puts out. That's a very fair you know, point. Yeah. I mean, we're, like, we're the problem, you know, right? We're the problem. No, I mean, you know, like if anything, the ability for politicians to speak directly to the public might actually undermo- undermine the chokehold that Murdoch has on our democracy. You know, like we don't want, politicians to be cozying up to media moguls like surely that is more damaging to our democracy than than an unfiltered direct line and i also think you have to give people a bit more credit like people can seriously they can spot a fight a fake a mile off like people have a very strong bullshit radar people are very skeptical of politicians in general so i would actually argue that they approach any message from a politician with a very like from a very cynical position which means they actually more questioning of the information they receive more so than what they get from the media and i would say that when you're putting more information out there's more chance that you're going to stuff it up Mm. if you change your values if you change your positioning there's always receipts people will go back and find the post that you made five years ago where you totally had a different opinion or you stuffed up and they do so i don't i actually think that social media holds politicians more accountable How far away are we from social media being more important in an election campaign than mainstream media? Oh, well, (laughs) that's a very hard question. I mean, I do think we are at at a bit of a tipping point um, in terms of how campaigns are structured because campaigns at the moment, you know, the rhythm of the campaign is still very much focused around traditional media and story of the day and, you know, know, all that sort of stuff and engaging with the press gallery. Um, and I do wonder if that that may change in the next sort of maybe the next election cycle um, that digital kind of is rising up and so treating it as its own sort of separate entity. I think the media will always remain important, but I think maybe the the structure of campaigns and the way, the effort that they put into different um, elements may shift a bit more within the next few years. Eloise, before we let you go, what is your postscript for the podcast? Well, I'm going to be really interested, actually, in how the parties wrap up their campaign online in this last week. Like you mentioned at the top, more people are voting early. Um, so I think most of the big ticket items are going to be out of the way. But, you know, I haven't really seen a, a kind of coherent, snappy narrative coming out where I can, you know, I can articulate back what they're trying to get voters to take to the ballot box. So I'll be really interested to see, to see how they do that online with a bit of an overarching narrative. My postscript for the podcast this week is about the Greens. Every election we're promised by the Greens that they're coming, they're going to seize the balance of power. They're talking a massive game. They are now even talking about trying to win seats like Pasco Vale and even maybe Footscray. So they're very ambitious. I think we're going to hear more from them next week. We'll learn in seven days' time whether it's, it's all huff and no puff. But I think it's a fascinating one to watch because if the polls are tightening, the Greens will benefit. Uh, And my postscript for the podcast is all around the early voting. I reckon Labor is doing everything they can to get people to vote early. It's an advantage for them. The Liberal Party isn't telling people to wait until polling day, but the Liberal Party really wants people to wait until voting day. Uh, They would love to have another couple of weeks in this campaign. 
uh, the government basically thinks they've got enough capital in the bank right now, and I think the early vote might be an indicator of the result. Eloise Young, thanks for being part of Matters of State. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And that is it for Matters of State this week. But we'll be back in your feeds next Friday on Election Eve. If you like politics, you will love The Party Room. Fran Kelly and Patricia Carvelis unpack federal politics. They bring you analysis, insights, insider accounts. It is a party and you are invited. So search The Party Room on the ABC Listen app. Vote one, Melbourne Demons Real Deal Party. Authorised Raphael Steen, Melbourne.